That's what it sounded like on May 2nd in Jerusalem as members of the Women of the Wall group held their early morning service for the new month where they read from a Torah which they'd smuggled into the women's section at the Western Wall. You can also hear loud whistles. Those come from nearly a thousand ultra-Orthodox protesters, mainly girls who've been bussed into the plaza. The Haredi movement feels it's a desecration of the rules of worship at the wall. It's a scene that's been playing out for years and has long been a point of contention between the more progressive Jews in the diaspora, especially reform and conservative movements, and the Israeli government, which sides with the ultra-Orthodox. Former Montrealer Rachel Cohen-Yeshurun has been in the middle of it since she immigrated to Israel 30 years ago and joined the women's activists. They did win the right to wear prayer shawls and tefillin, but the rabbi who's in charge of the wall still won't let them use his Torahs and won't let them bring in their own. The very narrow goal of Women on the Wall is, you know, to pray freely in the women's section at the Kotel. But we do see ourselves as one of the forces working towards uh, a more liberal Judaism. We see ourselves, you know, working towards the betterment of Judaism and the betterment of Israeli society. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Tuesday, May the 17th, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Rachel Cohen-Yeshurun attended an Orthodox girls' school in Montreal, where she was taught that women should actually never hold a Torah scroll. Now she teaches other women in Israel to read from the Torah, and every month she attends clandestine sessions for women of the wall at the Western Wall, where she's been arrested more than once by Israeli police, who enforce the area's religious rules. Although the Israeli Supreme Court has ruled that the women are not breaking the law and not doing any harm to anyone. In 2016, the former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu approved a plan called the Western Wall Compromise. Israel would expand the egalitarian section near the wall called Robinson's Arch for all the different streams of Jews to pray with Torahs and women too. The new Israeli leader, Naftali Bennett, actually drafted the plan and agreed to it when he took office last summer, but he's since put that on hold. Coming up, we'll check in with Rachel Cohen-Yeshurun about why she's not giving up. But first... Here's what's making news elsewhere in Canada right now. I'm Anne Dublin in Toronto, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like. The city of Toronto has installed a brand new historic plaque that pays tribute to one of Canada's greatest Jewish athletes, Bobby Rosenfeld, although her first name was really Fanny. She was an Olympic champion in the 1928 Olympics in track and field in Amsterdam, but she also excelled at other sports too, like basketball, softball, and hockey. After she retired from athletics, she went on to be a sports writer at the Globe and Mail. There's a park near the CN Tower in Toronto that bears her name, and there was a plaque put there 25 years ago, but it didn't have photos and there were some errors on it. The new plaque is now up. Rosenfeld's family visited on the weekend to see it for the first time. And you can read more about her amazing achievements. The link is in our show notes. And now, this important message. From award-winning journalist Marsha Lederman comes Kiss the Red Stairs, a compelling memoir of Holocaust survival, intergenerational trauma, divorce, and discovery that will guide readers through several lifetimes of monumental change. Marsha was five when a simple question led to a horrifying answer. She asked her mother why she didn't have any grandparents. Her mother told her the truth, the Holocaust. Decades later, her parents dead and herself a mother to a young son, 
Marsha begins to wonder how much history has shaped her own life. Reeling in the wake of a divorce, she craves her parents' help. But in their absence, she is gripped by a need to understand the trauma they suffered, and she begins her own journey into the past to tell her family stories of loss and resilience. Kiss the Red Stairs, available now wherever books are sold. And joining me now from Ma'ale Adumim in Israel is Rachel Cohen Yeshurun. I read once that you said when you were growing up in Montreal and going to a religious school, sort of this awakened in you the desire to physically hold a Torah scroll because you weren't allowed to as a young student. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I was very much influenced um, on Simchat Torah. My father and I would always walk to Cote St. Luke to the synagogue TBDJ. So, yeah, so we would, we would um, my father is a Kohen, and so he would get his Kohen Aliyah at Bethora, you know, get it first uh, on, on the on Sibchat Torah night. And then he would, and then we would like immediately do the walk to TBDJ. And we would go there because they allowed women to dance with the Torah. You know, it was like the big thing. It was like so liberal. <laughs> and that was always something that was, you know, a very, you know, big thing for me. I think also having a background of learning and studying the Torah uh, also gave me a sort of, you know, gave me a, an appreciation for later on when I realized that there was this opportunity to read Torah, to actually hold one and to be part of a service and to lead a service. Uh, it, gave it, it gave it another depth of meaning because I, you know, I knew what I was reading. In some ways, my, my Orthodox background, it certainly prevented me from doing a lot of the things that I do today, you know, a lot of things, ways that I join the Jewish people today, I wasn't able to do as, a, you know, as a 12-year-old. But on the other hand, it did prepare me well. And what is the, what is the current status in Israel of the plan by the Bennett government when they were campaigning to allow not only the, the Robinson's Arch sort of uh, ex external egalitarian area, but uh, actually having women in the women's section. So there's two kind of issues that are that are at play here. Maybe we can break down a little bit what the, those are okay. and what the latest rulings are, where they stand. Okay, so um, so there was this suggestion with Natan Sharansky really pushing it uh, to sort of open up the Kotel. In other words, if women, of, the idea was that if women of the wall uh, can't have a place at in the women's section of the Kotel, as is our, and still is, right? It still is our goal. So if we can't have that, if that's proving too difficult, perhaps we can expand the, what the Kotel is, expand the notion of the Kotel. And the idea would be to move physically, move the entrance of the Kotel back closer to Dungate and to have past that entrance to have, to give people choice. They could walk down to the area of Robertson's Arch, where there would be an egalitarian uh, section. And you can go there now, however, it's before you get to the Kotel. So imagine that the entrance to the Kotel is somewhere further back, and then there's an entrance, of visible entrance, and well-marked entrance. And the, the area of Robertson's Arch, the egalitarian area, would no longer be sort of hidden and, you know, second class. That was a nice idea, and we sat for many years like debating over the details of this, and we put out an agreement, um, and it, it was agreed by by the uh, by 
you know, through, through intermediaries, but it was agreed by the administration of the Kotel. And we said, as women of the wall, that we will forego our uh, the monthly service at the women's section, and instead we'll hold our monthly service, women's only, remaining a women's only group, at the egalitarian section. Okay, so we had this agreement, and then the government just went back on it. They just, like... They were so much pressure from the Haredi public and the Haredi, like, Maharim was, very, was against it because it, it was, in a way, it would give recognition to women of the wall. It would give recognition to the reform and the conservative movements in Israel. They, they stopped it. And now it's been basically in the courts because we, we and other, other parties went to court. We said, wait, how can the government just go back on an agreement? And, and it's still in the courts, as far as I know. And it's not really going anywhere, you know, it takes time. Um, I understand, you know, women of the wall is, it's, it's a complex issue and it, it's, it might not be on everyone's priority. Uh, but we're sort of, the way we feel is that, and the way I feel about it certainly is, we're like the last defense. I mean, we're what's between the Kotel being, you know, declared officially a ultra-Orthodox synagogue and it remaining as it was supposed to be and always has been a public uh, square with, you know, a public area with, with a public prayer space. And it, it's supposed to be a prayer space where people can pray in, in different ways, you know, like different groups of men can have prayer groups. They can pray differently. Nobody there is saying, you know, you have to pray like, you know, Svardi uh, or Ashkenazi or uh, it, it's, it's quite an egalitarian place as long as you're a man. There are really no rules. I mean, for a man, you know, as long as you behave, you know, properly with decorum, everything goes. Men dance there and sing there. And, uh, you know, any group of 10 guys who want to get together and make a minyan, call each other in and let's have a minyan any, any time of, you know, they want. Nobody calls them provocative or anything. It's just when a group of women wants to do basically the same thing. We want to have a, a our little minyan. You know, all we want to have is a nice shacharit service on Rosh Chodesh and sing and then go out for coffee afterwards. So far, because of the 30 years that women on the wall have been doing this, they've won the right to wear, wear tali taught. They've won the right to wear, uh, to sing out loud. That's still not as frowned upon, but you're allowed. Uh, to, you're allowed to wear tefillin-ish. We're not getting arrested for any of these, all right? We're not even getting arrested for reading from a Torah scroll. If we can get in, a, if we can smuggle in a Torah scroll, nobody's arresting us. We haven't had arrests in years. But it's, it's, uh, we're, there's some regression here because, as I said, last month we weren't able to really hold a proper service. And for months, you know, we, we have people screaming at us and, and whist, the whistling, you know, sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. Two months ago it was terrible. I just, I, I couldn't stand it, you know, I was like, it's it's really not easy to hold a service, and and, and it, it's it's just ridiculous, because, you know, if, as I said, if they don't know that we're coming, there's nothing, you know, we can hold a service perfectly fine, nobody cares. And you've said nobody's been arrested recently, but you were in previous years, right? But, right. Uh, you know, you're one of the pioneers you know, speaking out about this from, and being Canadian, it, you're coming from two worlds, right? A more liberal diaspora world versus such a disconnect. Growing up Orthodox and going to, a, you know, a, a, a ultra-Orthodox uh, school, I, I really sort of have a patience because I know 
who these people are. I know who these girls are. I mean, I, I almost could be them. I, I might even have been them. I mean, I don't think I ever, I can't see myself ever have being like demonstrating or being violent to someone who prayed differently than me. That no, but I could see myself as a, you know, a young girl kind of being amongst a group of girls kind of laughing at Women of the Wall. Uh, I, I could have been that, yeah. What does it cost you to be in Women of the Wall in terms of your community and harems and things like that? Well, I'm no, I don't consider myself part of, uh, you know, ultra-Orthodox community or, or perhaps even the Orthodox community. Um, I think, though, yes, in a way it costs me community because... I once you lead a service and you know you I prepare bat mitzvah girls and bar mitzvah boys and I lead services uh it's it's hard for me to go to an orthodox synagogue it's hard for me to appreciate and it's you know so I I don't feel 100% comfortable I wouldn't feel comfortable anymore really in an orthodox synagogue and at the same time you know, I don't feel 100% comfortable in any single, in like, you know, a reform synagogue because that's not what I'm used to. <laughs> so I'm kind of in this, um, you know, in between. And that's also why Women of the Wall is so important for me because Women of the Wall is my community. That's really my community. I think also like Women of the Wall, it's, it's a difficult, it's a very p politicized issue. And it's, you know, it can cost me, I don't know if it costs me friends, but it could be. I mean, maybe I don't have so many friends. Maybe I would have had, I would have more if I wasn't in Women of the Wall. Uh, and it's also something that, like, it's not something I, I discuss at work. Do you have a family, children, daughters? I don't have daughters. No, I have two sons. Uh, my, my The younger one, when he was a bit younger, he was like, he was once with me when I got arrested. And that was a bit, I was a bit nervous about that, but somebody took him home. Well, I'm sure they think you're, you know, a, a hero to them. Yeah, they do. And uh, my husband is very supportive. So. And my parents. What, where, where should we think movement is going to happen? You said, mentioned that maybe the courts will be the next step that will change things. But what are you guys expecting? I think it's basically, we're sort of in a, 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 a like a war of attrition. It's like, you know, who's going to back down first? Who's going to get tired? And I can tell all Canadians that it's it won't be women of the wall. Uh, one thing we're hoping is if COVID, you know, if, as it passes and as people are can travel more and are vaccinated, that they can join our service in person more and we can up our numbers again back to the, you know, we were we were like 200 was, you know, becoming a normal size service. I mean, we're, we're going back to that. If we have groups coming from Canada, that's really important to, um, or from, you know, from coming from anywhere, but to organize your vacations in Israel around our calendar, it's on our website, and to join us. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Shelley Laskin. She's a trustee with the Toronto District School Board. If you like the CJN Daily, as Shelley does, please tell a friend about us. Share an episode. Get them to follow us directly into their devices. And the link how to do that is in our show notes. 
and we'll end the episode with a sneak peek of an upcoming show. Best-selling novelist Samantha Bailey's latest thriller has come out. It's a dark tale about a Canadian Jewish family and how the young mother became paranoid trying to protect her son. It's called Watch Out for Her. Bailey's the daughter of a prominent rabbi, and she's really a very sunny and upbeat person, but her books are not. I, I am a positive, upbeat, happy person. I look at the world um, with hope rather than sorrow. Um, I'm a Gemini, though. I am a Gemini, and I am a true Gemini. I have a very dark mind, and since I was young, I have been fascinated by the dark and gritty this episode has been brought to you by looking back moving forward 160 years of jewish life in bc published by the jewish museum and archives of british columbia for their 50th anniversary this elegant volume is a once in a generation collection of jewish life and history throughout the province order your copy today at jewishmuseum.ca